Well, I love the fact that we are gathering in worship, not only physically in person, but digitally around the globe. Now, though you might be traveling or perhaps homesick, some of you, I imagine, have yet to experience community through Bel Air Church. If that's the case, and I mentioned it earlier, after the service, go to our website, to belairpress.org backslash next steps to find out how you can experience community with other people who are on the journey with you, whether it's on a Sunday or in your neighborhood throughout the week. May God bless you as you enjoy this service, and I pray that you would take that next step to get deeper in community here at Bel Air Church. Well, good morning, Bel Air Church. Boy, what a, what a treat it is to be here with you in worship on this Sunday. We've got a couple hundred people who just got back from family camp yesterday, and again, we're going to be... I see the shirts on the youth up top, so great. We've got a team being sent out to South Africa. We're going to be commissioning them later on in the service. Uh, we've got many that join us online on a regular basis every single week, and I, I want to say welcome to you wherever you are in the world, whether you are uh, traveling for work or for vacation, uh, if you're on set or if you are uh, homesick or in a nursing home, uh, you are part of this experience. Uh, what's so true about community, the way God designed it, is not that you would be blessed, but actually that you would be a blessing to other people. And there's this truth uh, that we miss. We live in a world where, you know, podcasts are so easy. You can uh, kind of watch things. And you get some, I get so much out of it, taking things in. And yet, a community misses out when I am not present. A community misses out when you are not present. You see, we're created not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing to others. And this church was turned upside down when a family moved here a little over a decade ago. And they, uh, they weren't just present and soaking up all that this church offered, but they brought their presence, their love, their grace, their leadership. Ministries were started as a result. And we give great thanks for them. And at the same time, an event happened in their life in April 2008, a little over 10 years ago, that turned their life upside down. But you'll quickly hear they wouldn't have had it any other way. And my hope and my prayer is that you would hear your story in their story, that you would be motivated, that you would be courageous, that you would be emboldened to step out even in the midst of whatever circumstance you're going through, not just to be blessed by this community, but to be a blessing to those around you. So. Why don't we give a warm Bella Church welcome to Jane Catherine Wolf as they make their way up. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Sit down, please. Come on. This is crazy. We don't even have to talk. We already got a standing ovation. Let's just go home. Let's go to the pizza party. Seriously. Amen. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're done. Okay, so hi, I'm Jay. I don't know, I know not everybody's been here since we've been here. We've, you know, this is the, the church and the city that you just sometimes intersect people and sometimes don't. So, uh, hello, if you don't know who we are or what we're doing on stage here. We're going to give a little um, context in a minute, but this is Catherine. Sorry. Hi. Hi. So what we decided to do, so my, my house right now is, is, is uh, about to be moved on Tuesday across the country after 13 and a half years. 
I am the main one moving with my, my sweet sisters who are in town, and uh, I'm so discombobulated mentally right now that I said, Catherine, here's what you can do. You can preach the sermon on Sunday, <laughs> and I'm not going to do that because I can't think straight. And so Catherine, uh, more than that, though, it's kind of a joke, she, um, she just has this message that I think is, uh, we decided was the message we want to leave you guys with. You guys have given us so much. And if there's one sort of takeaway from my little snippet before I kind of hand the mic over to Catherine, it would be that the, the fruits of investing your life in the body of Christ are immeasurable. And if you're on the fence about whether you want to invest your life in a church or maybe there's some other options and you want to bounce around and do what this city says is perfectly uh, acceptable with your life, which is to not commit, to not plug in, to not sacrifice of yourself and your life and your time for the other, for community, for the body of Christ, that's a lie. <laughs> And the, the first Sunday we came to L.A., you can put up a picture. I'm, I'm getting all reminiscent because uh, that was us. I, I can't believe we survived a cross-country trip in that. It almost went <laughs> off the road so many times. It was a miracle. It was 22. I don't think you could rent a car, but you could rent a Penske. So it's ironic. Anyway, uh, God moved us from the deep south, Alabama, and Georgia. We met at a place called Samford, uh, which is in Alabama. Everybody thought we went to Stanford out here. It was great. We did not correct them when they thought that. Totally different school. Anyway, so we got married after we graduated and just felt the Lord calling us to this adventure together. And uh, Catherine was doing some uh, work in the entertainment industry. I was going to go to Pepperdine Law School. And my dad just, he's a pastor, and you know how dads do sometimes. He gave us this word, just, it matters what you invest your life in. <laughs> Don't wait to found your life on something like the rock of Christ Till it's too late or till the end because the storms are coming. And God knows we didn't think we'd have the great storm that would hit our life three years after we got married when we were 26. But that was the timing that God had for us to experience that. But the first Sunday we came to LA, we had this long list of churches. And for some reason, my dad is a Baptist pastor, no less, in Alabama. And Bel Air Presbyterian Church is right at the top of the list. I don't know why. Maybe it was <laughs> meant to be, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so we went to this church our first Sunday in L.A., so this is why it is profoundly fitting to be here our last Sunday in this way, so we thank you for that. And um, this is us at our young marriage Christmas party. We, uh, you know, Bel Air gave us many gifts, but maybe one of the greatest was um, we, we found this kind of young marriage discipleship group led by our buddies J.T. and Sid Taylor. The other couple was leaving, and uh, they said, we need a new, you know, a leader for this group. And so we really stupidly raised our hands and volunteered to lead it. Though sure. we were 22 and had been married like four months. <laughs> and um, I guess even more stupidly, they let us lead it. So anyway, with, with the Taylors. <laughs> but to see um, the gifts God gave us in that season of just getting in the Word together. When we were so young and stupid, you know, it would be understandable to not have invested or plugged in our life into this church and community, but God gave us that opportunity to get deep and to get serious and real with the struggles of marriage, not knowing that we would need it desperately just a few years later. So fast forward 2008, like Drew said, so many of you walked through uh, this journey with us when the bottom fell out of our life and Catherine suffered a massive brainstem stroke out of the clear blue at age 26. We had our six-month-old um, son James in the other room. He's here now. He's 10. And he's... Yay! A miracle, yay, yay. too. James, you can wave. Oh. Yay, James. <laughs> uh, so that's a picture of, of James also when he was uh, six months old, or maybe it was a little older than that, actually, eight months old. So, yeah, thank you, James. James wants the microphone. And, um, and this was Catherine's first Mother's Day. 
And, uh, you know, you guys walked through us, uh, this storm with us in a way that, um, you know, sometimes you can't hope for yourself. You just can't muster the hope that you know you need. But your, your community, your people hope for you. And that's what you guys did yeah, for us. Yeah. And um, I, an aside really quickly, if you were here in this church during that season, would you, would you stand up? If you were in the waiting rooms or came and participated in some way, I'm just curious. And I want to honor you and thank you for showing up. Thank you. Um, you know, when the bottom falls out of our life, when we hit, get hit in the face with suffering or the reality of the storms of life, we want the invisible God to be made visible. We want to beat our hands on somebody's chest. You know, we want to just have a hug. And God says, look around. Like, this is my body. It's for you. And that's what we get to give each other. Uh, that's what you guys have given us. And we thank you. And fast forward all the way to... Um, many ups and downs and struggles that continued over the past 10 years, but um, God allowed us to have this memory device that the gospel is about not only lost things that are found or broken things that are healed, but about new life where there should only be death. And um, we welcomed our son, John Nestor Wolf, uh, in the summer of 2015. I can't remember what year it is. 2015, John came into our life and uh, yeah. Super uh, redemptive gift, but also has terrorized the nursery workers here for three years. <laughs> and, and we're uh, glad he's not in here today. Well. Yeah. I don't know where he is. Because he'd be crazy. Anyway, um, but he embodies, as much as he embodies the gospel, he also embodies the reality that it is hard to be a parent with disabilities. It is hard to be in community and vulnerable to other people. It's hard to struggle through seasons of life and expectations that are not met and dreams that are broken. But it's good when God is in the midst of it. And so that message that hard and good are not mutually exclusive is the message that we want to leave you, that um, we're humbled to do this life with you as hard as it has been. It has been so, so good. And we thank you for loving us so well. And uh, we're going to take all that you've taught us and given us and take that to the next season with us. And you're continuing to be a part of our story. Uh, you're forever a part of this story as we continue on in the work God's called us to. And we want to say if you've played any part in the last 10 years of our life, maybe we didn't know you when I had the stroke, would you stand and let us say thank you to you as well? Because you've helped to bring us back to life. Maybe everybody here. stand. I don't know. Yeah, we want everybody, everybody to stand. Yay. Okay. This is your moment too. I don't know. Okay, so as he said, um, my role in our move is to do the final message because I can't exactly love foxes. I, I want to start by saying this. So likely, I don't know, maybe I missed the days that there were a lot of people in wheelchairs on stage. Um, Maybe that's common here and maybe that's common in other churches in America. I kind of think it's not, though. So you may be like, oh, this is so sweet. They put her up there, that poor little thing, in a wheelchair. She, she, she has a real hard time. And look, they must feel sorry for that little cripple. 
Yeah, right. I'm loving my life. It's awesome. So, go fall. I, um, yay, make a memory. People with disabilities can have fun and be happy and their lives aren't really sad all the time. And just like you, there's hard things, but it's not that crazy. And I think Bel Air may be on the brink of something really cool in regards to disability ministry. And that will be a joy to hear about from Atlanta, that y'all are embracing people who maybe don't look exactly like you. It's, it's time, Bel Air and the world, it's time. So let me jump in and say that, let me pray. That's probably best praying than share a word. Okay. Dear Father, you are so good to us, Lord. My goodness, we are overwhelmed by how you are at work, even now, Lord. I pray Hosea 6.3, Father, that we would acknowledge you. You're going forth as certain as the dawn. And you come to us like the rain like the spring and the winter rain watering this earth. Let us press on to know you, Lord. We praise you for everything you're doing in each one of our lives. I pray that people would see their story in this story, that it not be removed from their life, but actually be used in their life as part of their story. The specifics are likely different, Father, but you are the same God and we have the same hope in you, Jesus. I hope we do actually, maybe some of us don't yet. I pray they will turn to you and recognize that ultimately you're the only thing that really matters in this world. We love you, Father. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. let's jump in. Um, so I wasn't nervous, I mean, I've done this a lot and yet um, this morning it suddenly dawned on me because I should say like, on Monday, for instance, Drew was interviewing Jay and I. That was going to be. So there was no prep. It was just Drew interviewed Jane Catherine, you know, whatever. And then we had dinner with the Millers and we're chatting and could not deny, which I think I already knew on some level, that this message I'm going to share with you that um, I've, I've given similar messages a ton. And if you came to my Bible study, I apologize. You've heard this a lot of it before. Um, this message of the good, hard life has just been resonating in my soul. And it was undeniable then that I should share it with you because, hello, the medium is the message, they say. I learned it in Journalism 101 that I'm in a wheelchair, so it's probably hard in some ways, and I'm filled with joy. So it's kind of good. So that message of the good and the hard, I think is so key in our world right now. We've really done ourselves a terrible disservice in our Western American experience to really disconnect those things. That it has to be either really good, which is like perfect, the best, the most awesome every second of it and feel good, or it's really bad, really hard, awful, I hate it. It can't be good even when it's hard and it can't be hard even when it's good. They have to be like entirely separate things. They can never coexist. And the Christian life, if you read a page of the Bible, it's really the opposite of that. 
It's that they're commingled beautifully. That there's no such thing as good without hard, and there's no such thing as hard without good till heaven. And it's very, very clear, and our world has rejected this notion, and it's a deep lie, do not believe it, that they can't, they, that they can't coexist, that they are 100% mutually exclusive from each other. And unless it's exactly like you thought it was going to be, then it's terrible. And it can never somehow be both. And we can't cherish that. We can't embrace it and engage it and love it exactly as messy as it is. It has to be this picture. And when Jay wanted me to share this message, I kind of knew it was right. So many of you, Bel Air, are probably in categories and positions to where you need this so bad. I know my soul needs it so bad that unlike what the world is telling you this looks like, whether it's your finances or success or your health or whatever, your marriage, whatever, that for all of us there is a, um, there's a different way. And I think we are all so easily fooled into thinking it should be a way that it's not. I love the truth of Isaiah 45.3. Um, Isaiah 45.3 says, I will give you hidden treasure in the darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am God, the God of Israel, the God who summons you by name. And the way I see it, um, some of us have to go through real darkness. Eventually, probably all of us in our lives go through really seasons of terrible darkness. And it doesn't make it okay to come out with treasure. Like, it's not like, oh, I got the treasure, so it's awesome. It's still horrible to go through. But at least we have some treasure. You know, probably a lot of you are going through really hard things this morning. Don't waste that. Take hold of the treasure in the darkness. The Lord is giving you hidden treasure in secret places so that you may know him differently and live differently. I think maybe this message is one of my primary treasures post-stroke. And I cherish that. I champion it. I steward it well. And my cry to all of you is to do the same in your lives. Don't waste your pain. It's a, it's a big theme of the Bible that we shouldn't waste what God is doing and how he is at work in our lives. And I think so many of us are so numbed out and like we, we got our screens and this and that and we can't even recognize like this is the story God is writing in my life and it matters how I live and what I do with my stuff, my lot in life. So let's get to this. This, this oh, don't clap, don't clap, oh my goodness. So this message is that pure treasure. Our lives are this message. I think we embody this message. In fact, I think we might be ambassadors for it, for the good, hard life, for the hard, good life. I want you to link those words. I wish I had a slide of it, I forgot, in your mind, that the good, hard life is always gonna be how it is on this side of heaven, and that's, Pretty awesome.
I, um, I want to start by reading to you something that sweet Kim Dore read on Christmas Day in 2014. It struck such a chord with me. You may not even remember what I'm talking about, do you? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who for those of you who don't know, was an incredible pastor, theologian, Nazi dissident who was martyred in the concentration camp as a Christian, like just an incredible person. Our small group, Valer's small group at the time of my stroke was reading life together and good and actually continued to read life together in my hospital room, which is a book he wrote. He's an incredible man. And Kim happened to quote um, a part of a sermon that he gave to his congregation. So the people of hope, you and me, right? Who are all already looking straight up at heaven. He gave this message to, and I wanna read a small part of it. You could quote this. Look up, you whose gaze is fixed on this earth who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven, disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has graciously torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your own eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. God will come. So the question for us is, why is he telling the people of hope in his congregation to look up? Why would he do that? Aren't we all just like they were looking straight up, eyes fixed on Jesus, not concerned with what's happening down here? And we have this radical, I love you, Lord, thing going and no need for a message like this. I imagine probably that's the reason you read it on Christmas Day. Even on Christmas morning, we have a hard time looking up. It's the great irony. And, um, I have a little word picture of why we're looking down. I'll be careful in my wheelchair. Um, And I'm having some lower back pain, so this really might be interesting this morning. But as I see it, we are looking down because we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's heavy. We're bent down. We're tired. We are striving so quickly. We just, we gotta keep our face to the ground. Is that a thing? And just go like little rats. We're like machines. And we're scared. We've been hurt. We got fear. We got shame. We got a lot of issues. So we're just like, world, be gentle. I'm, I'm scared. We've got a deep self-focus. We're like, I gotta preserve me. Me is what matters here. So we end up like this, right? Where are we looking right now? What is this? Can you see? This is my belly button. We are entirely self-focused. We are navel gazing. (laughs) Get it? We can't help it, but navel gaze. All we're doing is staring at this, number one, right here. How could we possibly look up or look out when we're here? You can't. But as Bonhoeffer is challenging us to do, let's look up. How do we do that? 
I think we have to redefine what good is, and it would change everything. I think deep down, we do not believe that our lives are good, that God is good, or that our pain can in time be used for great good. You want me to say it again? Yes. We do not believe that our lives are good. We don't. We do not believe that our pain can be used for good in time. We do not believe that God is good. And because we don't believe those things, how can we do anything but self-protect and look inward? Come on, like I'm scared. So the question becomes, what is good? Anyone know what good really is? Aren't good things things that feel good? Like, isn't that how we know because it feels good, right? Well, what does it mean in the Psalms, Psalm 8411, for instance, when the psalmist writes that no good thing has he withheld from those who walk uprightly with him? How could that be true? So if some of you know the music of Sarah Grove, she's just an amazing inspiration to me and it's a fabulous, talented musician who actually is the musical guest at Hope Hills Camp. Crazy, turned him events. Um, she's deeply impacted my life. And we spoke at a conference together in 2012. And she wrote this beautiful song called Open My Hands. And the first few lines of that song say, I believe in a blessing I don't understand. I've seen rain fall on the wicked and the just. Rain is no measure of his faithfulness. He withholds no good thing from us. Before writing that, I know, before writing that song, she was perplexed. Like, how could God withhold no good thing? I mean, we see people every day who've been like financially ruined, relationally ruined, have no health of body, nothing. Everything's taken away or like check the news. It is not good. Stuff is really bad. How could God withhold no good thing? And her thought has changed my life. Please put this on the screen. This is very important. Take a snapshot. You need this on your fridge at home. Here it is. Sarah researched that a theologian in the 1600s named Sir Richard Baker wrote this. We, because of all the things we see, we can know with certainty that the good things of God are not things at all. The good things, the truly good, the best things of God are peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, the fruition of his presence in this life, and the assurance of his face in the next. I'll say it again, I mean it, take a picture. You gotta, you gotta learn that, people. It's critical that you learn this, that the good things are not things. They're peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, their fruition of his presence in this life and the assurance of his face in the next. These things are the good things in life. These are the best things in life. 
So I took a very bad fall, which Jay didn't really do a summary of the last 10 years, but they've been nothing short of your worst nightmares in some ways, filled with great joy, but really bad. I've had 11 surgeries post-stroke. As you can see, my body doesn't work really well. This hand doesn't work. Um, my face is paralyzed. A lot's wrong. You get it. I've had a lot of big issues in the last 10 years, for sure. And recently, um, as in in December, I took a really, really bad fall. And I fall a lot, but this was a different one. And for those of you who know my story, you know I already broke the right leg and have had a steel rod implanted into it. But this is the left leg. And I'm laying on the ground and my leg's in terrible pain. And I have this moment where I think maybe the left leg's broken this time. And if the left leg is broken, how am I going to walk like ever? <laughs> this is really going to be a nightmare. And what do I do? And I'm laying there on the floor in John's room, and Jamesy's running in, Jay's running in, I'm crying. And I have this moment, and I'm like, I'm okay. Because the truly good things are here. Nothing can really happen to me. I'm untouchable. I've had 11 surgeries post-stroke. I have been near death multiple times. I've had some really horrific things happen. And for some reason, I feel like that fall could almost taken me over the edge to almost break the left leg. It wasn't broken, by the way. It was a really severe um, bone bruise type thing. Um, and yet, what flashed through my mind was that the good things are not taken even if my leg is broken. And all I need to do is look an inch back at my story to know thus far has God delivered me and he will do it again. And that's all of us, that all we have to do is wake up to what's happened already to know, well, with God, we're gonna be okay. We're still here. If we have a pulse, we have a purpose, seriously. So there's no soon. oh. So, thank you. So, here's what I think we have to do, Bel Air. We have to be bossy to our soul. <laughs> We're just so crazy. Because aren't we supposed to do what we feel all the time? Aren't we supposed to really be in touch with our emotions to know, like, this is the way to walk in because I feel this way about it? I don't think so. I'm fairly convinced that's not accurate at all. Don't let our modern world lie to you and ruin your life. Like, yeah, preach. Because the truth is, you're not always feeling it. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it, right? That's like a bizarre notion in our world. Is that being inauthentic? Not at all. It's being ultra-authentic. And it's not self-help to tell you that. It's Christ's help to tell you that. And that's honestly the only real hope we have. Self-help takes you about an inch. It's a good inch. I love self-help in some ways. Awesome. But it doesn't do enough, you know? It doesn't give you a reason to wake up in the morning because you feel good about number one. Like, yeah, feel good about yourself. God made you. You are worthy. Don't let anyone lie to you. But that only cuts so far. You need Christ. Jesus Christ is actually the answer. So we have to be bossy to our souls. 
I love Psalm 42, 5. I can't remember if that has the slide. Maybe not. Write this down. Psalm 42, 5. I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Psalm 42, 5 says, this is the psalmist talking to his soul. Listen up. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, the shift. For I will again praise you, my rock and my salvation. So what do we see there? We see the psalmist say, you're downcast. Hope in God, for I will again praise him. He gets a soul on board, my rock and my salvation. He gets a little bossy and says, I know you want your me time, but guess what? Let it rip to God and then go. Like, cry it out. The Psalms, please, are full of heartache. And we should. We should never elevate our emotions to where they run our lives, but we should never suppress our emotion either. It's both. We hold that tension well. We cry it out to God. But then we are able to function in this world. And we have purposes to function in this world, absolutely. So I think being bossy to our souls is something we have got to start doing. What's funny is I think I knew that before I think I knew it. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had that feeling like sometimes something is such a natural, like deep in you thing that you don't have language for it yet? And I think this is one of those things. In May of 2009, I was really mad off. I had a big feeding tube in my stomach. I was just relearning to eat after a year of no food. I could not walk at all. I was just really, really bad off. And um, I took Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, I think. I think, thankfully, it's going to be on the screen because I forgot which verse is. Maybe 17 through 20? I don't know. And it says, though the fig tree does not bud, though there... Oh, wait, what does it say? Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Which it is over. I learned that in her Bible study a year before my stroke right there. So um, that was marinating. And then in 2009 in May, I for some reason took that passage and rewrote it to fit my situation. So May 2009, this is like before social media is like a big thing. So it's pretty unusual to put stuff like this on the internet. But I wrote it and clicked publish on the blog and like put it out there for the world to see that um, this. I wrote, though I cannot walk and I am confined to a wheelchair, Though my face is paralyzed and I cannot smile. Though I am extremely impaired and I cannot take care of my own baby boy. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And I don't totally know why you did that. I have some ideas. But I think what I was doing was being bossy to my own soul. I was saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hope in the Lord. We're going to rejoice in him, 
Even though you cannot walk, your face is paralyzed, you can barely eat food, you can't smile. Like, oh my gosh, should you not be in heaven in this moment? This is not working on earth. And yet instead, I'm writing, I'm gonna hope in the Lord and rejoice in Him. And I'm like singing a different tune. Okay, that could have seemed somewhat insane to some people, right? I mean, that's a little cray cray. Um, hello, just gonna throw it out there. I don't know, something's working with the whole, maybe you should fake it till you make it thing. Maybe you should believe the truths of God even when things seem hopeless. It's kind of a theme of the Bible and proof is on stage today, hope in the Lord. Who knows what could happen? And I say that very tenderly because not every story hope in the Lord ends with a person who lives. I mean that. Plenty of people go home to heaven and I do not understand why some do and some don't. I don't pretend to. And I would encourage you, Bella Fred, give the deep ministry of tears and shut your mouth when they're going through that. Don't tell them how God is never leaving. I mean, that's so true. And how all things work for good and you'll see them in heaven one day and God needed that baby. Like, hold your tongue. I've wanted to say this for 13 years at this church. <laughs> I've wanted to say this post-stroke like none other. Here's my moment. Stop talking about all the, all the ways God is working and how he, he needed you for this, okay? I hear you and that's beautiful. But as much as there's ministry of truth, there is a deep ministry of tears. I heard it from Drew and I love that. That there is truth. Absolutely, but there's a deep ministry of presence and tears and we should really give that before we explode platitudes and try to put band-aids on bullet wounds. It's not effective, it does not bring God glory, I really don't think. In my experience, it's actually quite the opposite. It's pretty harmful. Y'all, I heard a missionary say a couple of years ago that the American church is the only place in the world where groups of people in small groups, Bible studies, community groups, gather and immediately pray away anything not working in their lives. And the rest of the world, oh, spitting, sorry, drool, it happens, can't feel. Um, in the rest of the world, that is never the first response prayer. It's so important, don't miss this. In America, I got cancer, get to the small group, get it out, God. Everybody, pray for healing now. Everybody, rally, we got a storm, get prayed up. When in the rest of the world, it's please pray for me to be faithful as I suffer. Pray that I cling to Christ. Pray that I steward my heart assignment well. Pray that I point other people to Jesus by how I handled the cancer. Yeah, mic drop, are you kidding? Who prays that way? Nobody does because we gotta get out what is not good and perfect and pretty. We can't possibly engage the hard. Now I guarantee around the world, they are still praying for their family member to live who has really bad fill in the blank. But it's just not the first prayer. The first prayer is to point to Jesus, 
to steward and champion it well for his glory and for their good for their time on earth. I think what we need to do, those of you in this room who are parents or in parent-like relationships with a child, it's re-narrate how we understand our world. James Wolf, where are you? You will, you will know this one very well. What do we say a lot to you? We say, James, God made you to do the hard thing in the good story that he's writing in your life. And I don't think that's a message we hear a lot that our children have heard a lot, that God made you, and you adults need this too, God made you, made you to do the hard thing in the good story he's writing. I love that, and James, I'm gonna keep saying this, that God made you that way, and you can do the hard thing. God has equipped you and given you everything you need to do the hard thing in the good story. And I think that's what is so key too, is it's a good story. God has equipped you for the good story. And that's very powerful. I, um, no, don't clap. I'm almost finished. Speaking of teaching, little Jamesy and John, hopefully who's with it as three to know this, is um, they're learning because they're watching and being in our family and seeing a mommy with tremendous disabilities and a daddy who's serving that mommy, driving her everywhere, getting her in and out of the bathtub, taking care of her, etc. And most recently, what they are both seeing, because they got to see it last summer, up close and personal, is that we started this camp called Hope Hills Camp. And it's in rural Alabama, right near where we're from. And we invite families where someone has a disability to come and have a week-long, fabulous, vacation-like, but camp experience and feel that community and love of Christ and just give them a deep boost. I mean, we pour into them for a week. And our little boys were there watching. And I'm going to show you the video. It's real quick. It's a minute long. Matt McCarty, if you're here today, May. Are you here, Matt? I thought I saw you. Hey! So we're about to show the video that Matt made. This is the recap video of last year. But I can't talk to you about camp without just showing you this. So if it works, awesome. If not, no worries to show. Here we go. Can a week of camp change the world? Maybe not, but it can change how we see the world and how we see each other in it. And that's where the real healing begins. It can give us new hope in the song we sing. It can light up new life in the dance we bring. It can offer wide open arms of love in which to leap. It can make space for our weary hearts to breathe. It can bring forth a new team for us to cheer. It can remind us 
There's so much joy in the journey of getting here. It can paint us a real picture of what's to come. It can show us that we all have a seat at the table, everyone. Come to Hope Heals Camp or donate to help send a family with disabilities to camp for free. Join us in this world-changing, heart-healing community. So that's it. Yeah, really cool. So, so our, our boys got to come. And what is so cool about that is it's so commingled. It's no longer an us and them thing, which is always the problem, is it's us and them. Instead, we're all in it together. It's able-bodied children and families and families with disabilities all together, seeing each other up close. You may have seen the little boy with no legs, Jude. And um, James, did you have fun playing with Jude? Yeah, I thought so. Did you notice he doesn't have legs after day one? Probably not. <laughs> or maybe you did and you thought it was awesome because he looks like a superhero. <laughs> and that's really cool. That's a deep blessing. I um, got to be friends with a sweet camper who is a mother, which is very special that Hope Hills Camp has adults with disabilities, not just children. So parents who are like me, who have disabilities, but able-bodied children. So I got to be friends with a sweet woman from Texas at camp. We had people from 25 states come to camp. It was totally nuts. So descending on Alabama in the summertime, cray cray, I know, but people from Oregon were there. It was weird. And tons from California, including Lauren and Dave, if you're in the room, and Justin, Sandra. And um, I flew. She, this woman has aphasia. She had a stroke and subsequently suffered from aphasia, which is the ability to speak language. So she can hardly speak. And she was in a custody battle with her ex-husband for custody of her children. And I flew to Texas to speak in her custody battle and appeal to the judge to give her custody of her children. And you can imagine what accord the strikes with me as a fellow mother with a different kind of disabilities, and now someone's gonna say I'm not a fit mother because I have disabilities. It seems ludicrous, doesn't it? Well, I don't know what they were expecting, <laughs> but um, let's just say uh, the judge was crying very hard. <laughs> and <laughs> let's just say I was able to look in the judge's eyes and say, you think this is a custody battle where a mother wants the children? No, no, no. This is a custody battle where the children need this mother. They don't need a mother figure. They need this one. And you want to know why? Because the lessons they will learn from a mother with disabilities are profound. They are better people, better people because of what they will watch their mother suffer through in their lives. Don't take away these children from their mother because what she will instill in them, the depth, the character, the ability to persevere, these are not things words can communicate. And um, needless to say, the court liaison had recommended giving custody elsewhere and the judge gave the opposite 
and said that the children should stay with mom. And <laughs> it was so awesome, so, so amazing. And at the, at the end of my time testifying, um, they said, you're done, you know, you can leave. And I said, I thought I'd get a closing statement. And they're like, and they're like, uh, no. And I'm like, when I've seen on TV, that's what they do. They give a closing statement. So I feel like law and order style, I should be allowed my moment to speak my piece. And the judge is like, you have. <laughs> okay, whatever. Anyway, um, this is, this is my closing point, I promise. I, um, I think that for all of our disabilities, for those of us in wheelchairs and those of us internally in wheelchairs, which is all of us, we've all got inner, outer brokenness of some kind, we have to view our disabilities, those wheelchairs, as limitations and constraints in our lives which is so radical to think about because you're supposed to have no constraints, no limitations on your life. And I love how Pastor Drew has been talking about how a fish thrives in water and how, I forget all the examples you've used, but how powerful it is to see that limitations and constraints can actually free us to thrive. I'm a big fan of that message. I love that you're preaching on that. So constraints, we are taught that the constraint means I did not get my dream. This is what is preventing me from getting what I deserve and what I am entitled to, right? My, my limitation, whatever it may be. Okay, cool water picture here. So when I was in brain rehab, my hand did not work at all, like zero. Could not lift it, could not move it. So what they would do in brain rehab is take this hand, the good hand, tie it behind my back and force me to use this one. They do stupid things like have me move a marble over and over, have me do all kinds of crazy things to mark this hand, right? So because the good hand was limited, constrained, this hand was able to thrive. Okay, let's back this up a minute. I can do this now, yay. So, excuse me. Because of the hand constraint therapy, that's the name, hand constraint therapy, I can use this hand now. It's not perfect, but I can use it. And it's because they withheld use of the good one. What a fascinating thought is that. It seems crazy in our world to consider um, constraining anything, doesn't it? Well, it would, except let's look at Jesus, A. He constrained himself to a human body. That's pretty crazy. I've heard before that ours is the only religion in the world where God came as a baby, grew up as a man. And I have a fascinating quote that I love from Dorothy Sayers who says, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He was born in poverty and he died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. 
Yeah. I'm sure you've heard before Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest, sorry, but one who can empathize with our sufferings, with our weaknesses. I love that thought. My ultimate thought about constraints in Jesus is the ultimate constraint was defied by Jesus. I'm sure you get that. The crux of our faith is that the tremendous constraint of death that we all face every day was defied by Jesus. So what does that mean since he resurrected? Well, it means that we can live well within our constraints. He defied them. We don't have to. We can choose to count this as joy, whatever this looks like. I, um, I think the truth about constraints is that they leave us scarred. No doubt. Take a good look. Scars abound all over. Lots of scars by what's happened. And so many scars on my heart. Scars are the best part. Scars mean you lived. Scars mean you have proof. Jesus, in the resurrected form, had nail-scarred hands. Why would he do that? He's dignifying our scars, our constraints, where we've been, what we've been through. I love the thought of Psalm 16:6 that we have this lot, oh, this beautiful lot, this thing God has given us to champion on earth. And the lines have fallen in pleasant places. It says in Psalm 16:6 that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And because we can choose to live well within our lot, we can be joyful in our lot. That includes the scars, part of our lots. Jay wrote at the end of our book, and I love this line so much, that one day we will see. One day we will trace the lines of our scars and see them to have fallen in the most pleasant of places. We will see them as our glorious inheritance. And I love that. I know I watched it, but that's kind of it. And that's the truth. Our scars, these lots we've been given, one day we will see. One day we will know. In closing, I want to tell you that I deeply love Galatians 6. If you need a passage in the Bible to read tonight, I highly suggest Galatians 6. It's amazing. I talk about it a lot at Hope Hills Camp because Galatians 6 too talks about um, bearing one another's burdens. And then we see in Galatians 6, 9, um, do not grow weary in well-doing. In the middle of that, we see a call that I think might just be my anthem of how to live well on earth, how to suffer well on earth. And we've got it for you today in the message, which I know and I love, and I would highly recommend you put on your refrigerator and learn. It's a good word. That says this, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given and sink yourself into that. 
Do not be impressed with yourself. Do not compare yourself with other people. Each of you must do the creative best that you can with your own life. I love that thought so, so much. Do the creative best that you can with your own life. When we do that, because we've sucked down, in other words, sucked down deep into our story, we can't see here. It'd be really hard. We're looking up and we're looking out. We're seeing each other and seeing the God of the universe because we're no longer like this. Inst oh, sorry. Instead, we're like this and we can suddenly wake up to what's happening in the world around us and recognize, wow, this is a good story. Even if it is not the story you would have written. It's not just a good story, it's better. It's better than the story you would have written yourself. And I think I can say that, that the story God's written in my life is better than it would have been. And I'm over 10 years now, so I can recently say that. It's been real bad, real hard. But the story God has written is better. And I love it. And I'm supposed to hate it. And you are too. You're supposed to hate your life and hate your story. But who said that? Stop believing that. Like, your story's awesome. God made your story. Give it some weight. Like, it's a good story. I want to close by saying that our sweet friends, Francois and Methel Ute, are also moving. And this is not the Wolf Show. We want to recognize them and say what a privilege and blessing it is that they have been a part of this story in this congregation. And it's a deep joy to recognize them. Y'all wave or something. And do you want to come up here and pray? You just want me to pray? Okay. And I'm going to pray and close. Father, you write the best stories, better than anything we could come up with. And a lot of us in this room are super good writers and super creative, and it all falls so short of you, Lord. You're the best. And we do not necessarily choose how the story will go, but we know you are at work in it and moving through it, Father. We trust you. We are hard-pressed for sure, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but never destroyed, Lord. We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our bodies. Lord, let it be among these people and all the people of hope in this world. And I pray especially for those in this room who do not yet know you. May they come to faith in you, Lord. May they follow Christ each day of their lives, knowing that ultimately you are all that matters, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Hey, a couple quick things. Oh, really? Well, oh, should I stand too? Uh, are you going to say about the most? Or should I'll, I? I'll say in a second. Yeah. And before you get off, stay up here for a second. Yeah.
So, so while we've got everybody standing, I imagine some are standing online as well. I posted online yesterday that we've got a surprise at the end of the service, and it's twofold. Uh, you don't know this. This church doesn't know this. But not only have you left a legacy in our hearts, we want you to know that you're going to leave a le legacy formally in our church. Our, our leadership has been talking about what a disability ministry would look like here at Bel Air Church. I've met with you last week. We talked, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, talked about that. I've met with Johnny and friends to learn from them. And I want you to know that uh, I'm looking forward to the day when you can come back and be a special guest speaker when we have a flourishing disability ministry here because you've taught us what it means to see everybody in this community. And we've overlooked some. And we repent of that, which means we want to turn away from that way of living because that's not how God calls us to live. So that's the first half. Is that, is that something we want, church? The flip side is this. We love doing ministry with you. And next year is the third year of the Hope Hills Camp. And we're going to formally send a team from Bellard Church to volunteer with you. Yeah. Now, now... I, I know we've got to apply, and there's kind of like a, you know, a vetting process that you do. So whatever we need to we do to get ready to make it possible. But uh, some of you are already planning on going. It's uh, next July. There's two-week options. But how many of you just, I, I want you to look at, and I want you to see this. How many of you would just be interested in finding out information about how you can actually go and volunteer in hot Alabama in July? <laughs> look at these. So look out and, t and take this. There's people online who are putting their hands up as well. But why don't we give a deep thanks again and a warm appreciation for Jane Catherine Wolf. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. you told on the box. Yeah, well. Yeah, well.